And this is View of the Valley's podcast, episode 40 with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how you been doing? Oh, I'm doing well. You know, finally weather turned here and, uh, you know, I haven't had a chance to talk to each other for a while, but um, turn it into barbecue weather and uh, get some steaks out, some burgers out and start cooking that way. It'll be a, a good time. So I've been enjoying the tournament and the women's tournament as well. But uh, how about you? How are you doing? I'm doing a lot better. Uh, as you as you know, I had the uh, run-ins with uh, COVID, so that's why we were off here, you know, last week and uh, we're unable to record. But yeah, doing a lot better. Uh, looking forward to uh, being able to do stuff again. Uh, it's been nice being able to watch some of the college basketball and, uh, you know, the other favorite time of the year, uh, opening day just happened. So uh, yep. Major League Baseball is in full swing and uh, looking forward to seeing what the Cardinals are able to do this year. Yeah, it's just you always got to remember it's such a long season for baseball and you get the overreaction. You know, you win your game on uh opening day like oh, we could win the world series and if not like we need to fire the manager so <laughs> oh yeah it's, it's uh definitely uh, a day for hot takes which you know you got a long ways to go yeah i think that's what makes it interesting too and you have 162 games but you know as you said you know if your team wins the first game you're like oh we're riding high and then come out lose the next four like oh this guy needs to this guy needs to find a different job but uh during today's episode we'll get you caught up on the ncaa tournament as well as some recent transfers and coaching changes inside the missouri valley and the ohio valley conference but first things first we'll look back at the ncaa tournament here tj Uh, as we record here monday uh, april 4th um with the ncaa tournament tonight I believe it, it is April 4th, isn't it? Yes. No, it's April 5th. April 5th. Okay. But yeah, uh, Gonzaga and Baylor play tonight in the NCAA championship. Uh, before we get your take on today's game, is there anything that stood out to you over this NCAA tournament? Like maybe something that surprised you or, you know, just the NCAA tournament in general? I think UCLA making the run they did. I mean, really, they probably should have lost that play-in game to Michigan State. And then they just turned it around and gave, you know, the toughest game Gonzaga's had all season, not just in the tournament. And, you know, really impressed with what Mick Cronin was able to get those guys to do. I was impressed with what he said after the game when Suggs hits that great shot. I can't be upset. You know, we've lost games that way. And, you know, I sit in the seat that Coach Wood used to sit in. We have to find a way to, to grow from this and learn from this, you know, which is easy to say when you are one of the last teams in the tournament and one of the last teams to be knocked out, you know. But, uh, you know, I, I admire kind of that from Mick Cronin and what he was able to do there. But just, you know, uh, I was really surprised at the performance of the Big Ten um, or lack thereof. And then the performance of the Pac-12 on the positive side that, you know, just if you would have told me it would have been, you know, you would have three teams in the Elite Eight from the Pac-12 and one from the Big Ten. I would have said you're crazy. And oh, yeah. uh, sure enough, that's the way it, it, it shook out. So uh, definitely... Um, you know, I, I, I think Loyola had a chance, but ran into a tough Oregon State team. And, uh, you know, you always like to see those those mid-majors do well. And, of course, Gonzaga is the ultimate mid-major, you know, playing in the West Coast Conference. What stands out to you? Well, you mentioned UCLA, and, and I think one of the main, the main reasons uh, UCLA getting this far, I mean, really was uh, – 
yeah, if you asked Ms. Mick Cronin, he'd have been like, oh, we saw this in our in our team. But like, if you're just like a fan or just somebody you know watching UCLA or just the tournament in general, I don't think most realize that. Uh, yeah, UCLA's 11 seed. They got far in the tournament. It's it's something that would surprise most. But what Mick Cronin was able to do and his staff to get the players elevated like all season was truly unbelievable because you had basically three of the top guys in the program. You, know, you had an injury. You know, one of the guys that transferred out, um, get closer to home. And then Chris Smith, arguably their best player on the roster now, gets hurt and doesn't play for the NCAA tournament, doesn't play for the Pac-12 tournament, and missed missed over, I think, half the season. So the ability that the other players were able to step up and do the job, I think, speaks volumes of why UCLA went after Mick Cronin after uh, his tenure at Cincinnati. Right. Um, I, I saw this on Twitter today. I don't know if you saw it, but... You know, Bill Walton, big UCLA guy, and obviously does a lot of the Pac-12 games uh, broadcasting-wise. There was a video of him on Twitter during the Gonzaga and UCLA game, and you just see him standing, uh, or I guess he was sitting down in like a radio booth, they're they're, uh, videotaping him, and you just hear him go, come on, Johnny. And this was before, you know, uh, Johnny Juzang, uh, scored to tie the game and right after he scores uh gonzaga's getting the ball and they're going up the court and bill walton's slowly getting out of his chair and he's just standing at the tv watching the last second shot as it gets banked in uh bill walton he's just stunned like his didn't know what to say and then eventually said uh, it was just a great game and uh, you'll have to look at it but just just UCLA in general, that stood out to me. Um, I thought, uh, you know, you had some of those upsets in the first round like you typically do. But my goodness, you could not get an upset to go in that next round. I mean, I don't think many people would have picked Oregon State to get past uh, really their their first game or second, second matchup. Uh, cause a lot of people were riding high on Georgetown as a 12 seed and, and my goodness, they, they got run out of the building as a 12 seed. And, right. and I, I, for one did pick Georgetown that game did not look good. Um, but you know, so some can say that you got to ride with teams that are hot and Georgetown and Oregon state both did that. I mean, neither were Oregon state was picked to finish dead last in the conference. Yeah, and look at where it got him. I it, so you, you projections. You can use that for fantasy football or what have you. A lot of people get so into those projections, but they don't mean anything. It, it's just, it's just what happens on that day. And you, know, you got to give a lot of credit to Coach Tinkle for uh, Oregon State getting the getting the most out of his players all season. And I think that's a little bit different than UCLA because. Obviously, UCLA, you're, there were some projections there, and everybody and the players knew how good they, they were and could be. But the one thing with Oregon State was they didn't have anything to lose. But, so if, if they lost a game, it was like nobody would have cared because they were picked to finish last anyway. Right. So I think that they were just going with, uh, you know, no, uh, 
uh, I can't think of the word, but um, they're playing they're playing loose. Yeah. So I think you know, obviously Oregon State was another one that stood out. Um, but I I know when when we when I was doing my bracket and some of the some of my friends were talking about it because they're big Illinois fans. You know, you looked at the bracket and. I, th- I really thought there was a chance that Loyola could beat Illinois if the two faced off against each other. But then there was that fact that it was like, well, Illinois should have no problem getting past their first game. But to me, Loyola kind of had a bad draw in in the first match of playing the ACC t- tournament winner. You know, Georgia, right. Georgia Tech by no means is a bad team, and they kind of play some of the same style of basketball as Loyola, at least defensively. And... So I was a little concerned they weren't going to get past Georgia Tech. But when they did, I'm like, oh, there's a very good chance that Loyola just comes out and just steamrolls uh, Illinois. And and they really did outplay him. And I think uh, Coach Moser uh, uh, really kind of outcoached Underwood in that game. Yeah, I think, you know, the big thing that came out that people realized that maybe Loyola was underseeded because they were, what, top 10 in net, top 10 in Ken Palm. And then I think there were 10 at both of those exactly. But then you give them basically a 30 seed by saying you're, you're an eight seed that gets to play, you know, in that bracket, which made you what, 29 through 32 mm-hmm. at, at that point. It, it definitely, most people are like, yeah, that didn't make sense. And I think it was illustrated even, you know, brought to fruition when you saw what they did to Illinois and just, you know, outplayed, you know, point blank at, uh, yeah, you, know, you talk about those preseason uh, rankings and stuff like that, and and I understand you. Know, we're all kind of guessing, for lack of a better term, we're using the information we have to try and project what's going to happen. But I always find it interesting when people, especially fans, feel insulted when you pick their team in a certain spot. Like, how can you pick them? I'm never reading your stuff again. Like, well, all right, <laughs> you know, this is just my guess. This is my opinion. You know, like I don't think you should have turned right there. Like, I'm never writing you with you again. So I always find the reaction to those types of things interesting. Well, it, it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, I'm not f- sure if you're familiar with who Todd Furman is, but Todd Furman, uh, he's kind of big in the sports betting world. He's got some podcasts on, you know, the NFL, and he used to be an odds maker at one of the casinos in Las Vegas, but also does, uh, he's like an analyst on Lock It In on Fox Sports 1. Mm-hmm. And he had said something about the Arkansas and I think it was Texas Tech game. Uh, but he basically was saying that he thought Coach Beard was a better like X's and X's and O's guy, and he did, he thought uh, Arkansas was going to lose because Texas Tech had the better coach. And then at the end of the game. Uh, uh, Coach Musselman of uh, Arkansas said, you know, I, I'm not familiar who this analyst guy is. I've never heard of him, so clearly he's not that good or something like that. And, uh, But we we proved him wrong and just kept going on and on about how, I guess, Todd Furman had no credibility and, and stuff like that. So uh, you're right. I mean, if, if you say one thing about, you know, another one's program and it doesn't take long for a whole fan base or just a person in general to 
not like your work because they're <laughs> Todd Furman put on Twitter that I guess there were so many memes of of him and you know just a lot of Arkansas fans being creative putting Todd Furman's face on a lot of stuff and some of it was pretty funny but it just kind of goes along with what you were saying about fan bases mm-hmm. so I do have another question for you you brought up Bill Walton okay Bill Walton's announced in a game that you flip over to do you mute it do you turn it off do you turn it up what what are your feelings about bill walton anytime bill walton's announcing a game i make sure i tune in really yep i can't change the channel fast enough see a lot of people like to mute him when he talks or turn the channel i am the complete opposite i like I am like on the edge of my seat wanting to know what he is going to say next. Like, is it because you're expecting it to be a train wreck or you're expecting it to be insightful? <laughs> it just makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, he, ate a, he ate a lit cupcake on television. Like how, how can you not like when something like that happens? It's so comical. Like, yeah. No, no one's going to expect that to happen because nobody's going to honestly think it is going to happen. And just hearing like the conversations he has with uh, the guy he's working with in those games, I know they rotate on a you know on a on a game basis. But there was a time in the uh, I forget what what the the Diamond Head uh, Classic because he he usually announces those games. Cause it's on the West Coast, and <laughs> there he had a conversation with. I can't remember the guy's name right now, but uh, we'll we'll say his name was uh, Joe. And they're talking on air, and he just be like, "And hey, what's your name again?" And he goes, D-. "He goes, Bill. I- I'm wearing a name tag for a reason. This is the third time you've called me by the wrong name." <laughs> <laughs> like they're just talking about this on live air and just some of the quotes that he has said, like, this is the best I've ever seen John Doe play all year, all year or in his career. And then the other guy will say, he'll say, so how many times have you seen him play? Well, this is the only time I've ever seen him play. Well, then it is going to be the best you've ever seen him play. So, so the worst you've ever seen him play. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I like listen to him announce. I mean, I think it keep it obviously it'll keep me awake at night with them late uh, start times on the West Coast. But I'm not saying it's in, it's insightful. Um, I just I think he's a guy that he get he yeah he's gonna get people to maybe tune out. But I do think he gets you know other people like myself to stay tuned in just because they like hearing him talk. Um, what about you? I know you said that you can't. Uh, flip off the screen fast enough but i just i just can't i just can't bear it like there's just times that he'll complain about a stoppage in play and this has been years ago that he's you know that they went to the monitor you know or the flow of the game because too many fouls were being called and then they went to a monitor to see if there was a shot clock violation as part of his well are you upset about this one what are you talking about this could be the biggest play of the game like but you know the foul that you didn't want them to call that couldn't have been the biggest play of the game if the kid you know hits those free throws I mean I just I think he's too much of a fan of hearing himself talk so 
I mean, kudos to him and his great career and that people like you listen in, but I, I'm changing the channel. <laughs> like if he were doing an SIU game, I would at bare minimum have to mute it and try and get Mike Reese on the radio feed. Well, fair enough. I mean, it's all, it's all relative. I mean, there's, it's all, it's all uh, subjective. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of baseball announcers that, uh, a lot of my friends like, and if they come on, I'm, I'm not listening. Mm-hmm. I'm muting it. Yep. So, but outside of the NCAA tournament, uh, TJ, uh, well, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and do our prediction here, uh, for tonight's game before we move on to the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley, uh, okay. transfers and coaching changes. So you got Baylor and Gonzaga tonight. Gonzaga's a, about a four and a half point favorite right now. Uh, who are you leaning towards uh, for the big game tonight? I'm I'm leaning towards Gonzaga. I think that you know maybe that Saturday night was kind of their hiccup, and then uh, you know Baylor. I think and rightfully so will be playing with quite a bit of confidence after their 19 point win, and I just think it's just going to be it's just one of those moments where Baylor's going to be playing with enough confidence that. Or maybe overconfidence, and and that's when Gonzaga feeds on. I mean, it was their first close game all season. Yeah. Other than that, with that, people referred to the the BYU game in the West Coast Conference Championship, and they still end up blowing their doors off, even though they were what down ten at half. So, and I think Timmy's probably your MOP, your most outstanding player. Although if it went to Suggs, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, I think you're right, and. Gonzaga's just been on a whole nother level all year, and I think that outside of the UCLA three-point win, I think their only single-digit win was against West Virginia earlier in the season. But other than oh, that, I they, about that one. But other than that, they beat every team by uh, double digits. You brought up the BYU game that was, you know, kind of back and forth. BYU gave Gonzaga a run for their money, but in the end, Gonzaga did what. 98% of their other games were. You know, they won by double digits. They won with ease. And I, I do think one of the reasons why UCLA was able to hang around with Gonzaga a lot, you know, Timmy was in foul trouble, you know, for different parts and stretches of the game. You know, he didn't didn't really foul out, you know, like, uh, for instance, there was a guy, oh, I'm trying to think of what game it was. <sighs> Somebody fouled out uh, with like 12 or 13 minutes to go in the game. Uh, in the, I think it was the Elite Eight. Um, I'm not sure which game it was. I'm trying to go back and look. I think it may have been the... Was it the Creighton and... Gonzaga game? Maybe somebody on Creighton fouled out? Yeah. Okay. I I think it was the uh, Damian Jefferson of Creighton. He fouled out, and I think he fouled out with like eight or nine minutes to go in the game. Um, If it's not him, then I can't remember who I'm thinking of. But regardless, somebody, somebody fouled out with... Close to double digits of minutes remaining in the game, and they just they felt like 
they couldn't take him out because obviously it was a loser. You know, you win or you go home. And, mm-hmm. and you know, Timmy and Gonzaga really never got into that much kind of trouble. But there were times where I think with, you know, obviously late in the game before it went to overtime, you know, they, uh, Coach Few was having to mix and match when Timmy was going to get in and get some yeah, minutes they, so he didn't foul out. a lot of offensive, defensive substitutions pretty early. Exactly. And... Uh, if if he's able to stay out of foul trouble, which, I mean, there's no indication that saying that he's going to be in foul trouble, um, you know, I, I like where uh, Gonzaga is able to go. You know, they have so much talent. You know, you, you, know, you got how good was Aaron Cook at Carbondale, you know, and, right. and see what he's done this year at Gonzaga. You know, he's not he's not one of the main five players you you think of when you think Gonzaga. He's not in the starting lineup. But he's been very productive when he gets in. Right. So I think that just shows you how deep Gonzaga is. Mm-hmm. So I like Gonzaga in this game. I just I, Mark Few's been around a long time, and but yeah. I, at the same time, I don't think you can not look at what Coach uh, Drew has done with Baylor. I mean, Baylor right before he got there was pretty laughable. And he's he's put him on the map. Yeah, this this really feels like I mean this is what we wanted, didn't it? Yeah, Top two teams in the country, and it kind of I was talking to a coworker today. It kind of has that feel like back in the seventies and eighties when you had the two best fighters in a weight class, and one kept ducking the other. Now I'm not saying anyone was ducking anyone. That's not at all what was going on. But with it, I think there was what two times these teams were scheduled to play mm-hmm. before conference play started, but because of COVID problems and things like that, they couldn't get the game to happen. Now it feels like all right, nobody's ducking anyone, no one's able to, you know, we don't have any of that anymore. This is it. These are the two teams that, you know, we we wanted that we wanted to see play each other because they've been the top two teams all year long. So I mean, from that point. Part it's it's exciting that we had some exciting games. We had some Cinderella teams, and it's just I mean it's fantastic. One of my favorite stats to come out of this, or uh, kind of weird things, is that UCLA's last national title was 1995. That was Gonzaga's first trip to the NCAA tournament. Huh. So I hadn't heard that. I just love those kinds of things, even though they I mean that's the kind of useless crap that fills my head. <laughs> But hey, it, it, I learned something out of that. <laughs> so your your useful crap uh, informed me. Yeah. So, but with that, we'll make our way into the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley side of things, and we'll look at some of the transfers and coaching changes that have happened. I know on the Missouri Valley side, there's been a lot of transfers happening, uh, guys coming and going, and then on the Ohio Valley side, maybe not as many transfers, but there have been a few coaching changes. So we'll start out on the Missouri Valley side here, TJ, with uh, whether it be a coaching change or uh, some of the transfers. Well, I mean, uh, we had the, the big news that came out right after the tournament. It was kind of even leaked before the tournament on the Missouri Valley side that uh, Coach Lansing's contract was not renewed. And we talked about kind of that awkward press conference where he and the AD were both there. Uh, but they brought in uh, Josh Schertz, who was uh, at uh, Division Two loyal, excuse me, Division II Lincoln Memorial University and uh, was able to keep Kareem Richardson on staff, which it seems to be a, a big thing that there were a lot of players that that liked him as, you know, 
maybe he was the guy that they had developed that relationship with. So trying to keep some continuity there, but there were a number, you know, a bunch of transfers from Indiana state. We talked about Jake LaRavia before going to Wake Forest. Now Trey Williams is going to Duquesne, but you know, still guys like Cooper Neese, Jared Hankins, Kobe Barnes, Caleb Stevens, Cam Lacote and, and Tobias Howard all looking for schools. And, you know, there's a lot of your minutes. So, I mean, you always expect there's going to be some turnover, but I think it's even more pronounced now that you don't have to sit that year. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see. You know, we've seen guys, uh, you know, think of Bo Ryan having quite a bit of success going from D2 to D1. Uh, but then there's, you know, a number of those stories that go the other way too. So, and then just over the weekend, that uh, Porter Moser took the job at Oklahoma. And, I mean, it's, it's a great fit for him. You know, you're not going in, you're going to a power five. You're not going into a rebuilding program because they just had a nice run in the tournament with Lon Kruger's retirement, and he's going to get paid. You know, it's, at some point, your loyalty is only worth so much, and it's, it's somewhere in the millions of dollars because you and I talked about before we started recording the number of things that they were throwing at Porter Moser to try to keep him at uh, Loyola, including Cubs tickets and all sorts of other perks, you know, outside of pay. But, you know, he just couldn't resist it, and I don't blame the guy. And uh, now Drew Valentine, one of his assistants, will be uh, the head coach at Loyola. He'll, uh, by the reports I've seen, is he'll be the youngest head coach in Division One at 29 years old. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of movement, if any, Loyola has. You know, they were, I mean, they had a couple guys that had entered the portal and Cooper Capes and Baylor Hebb and Franklin Iguane. But do Williamson and Crutwick, do they stay for another year? Do they use that, that year of eligibility or do they move on or what was their plan? I mean, I don't know what their plan was before. So I, there's no way to tell if it had changed. So that'll be interesting. I mean, because if you keep those two guys, I mean, you've got a real shot at, at, at repeating your success from this year. Oh yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, you know, well, and people can say what they want. Kids go play for coaches. I mean, that's that's the for thing. sure. That you're going to try and find somebody that you fit in with, that you like their program. You feel like you have a good rapport with, and you can play for. Yeah. And you know, I mean, there's parts of the school that you that come into play. Do they have your program? You know, is it a climate you can tolerate to live in? Things like that. But I think that that's what you're dealing with. You're you're going to play for that that head coaches, assistant coaches, things like that. So not that that's the big coaching. The only coaching changes on my side, not that the money may have been a big, big draw in the Oklahoma from Loyola change. I think it had a lot to do with the major league baseball season ticket package. (laughs) You know, I don't wonder if coach Moser is not a Cardinals fan or if uh, he may have been a White Sox fan. They offered him Cubs tickets. So I think that that's the big deal there. Um. On the Ohio Valley side of things, uh, quite a bit of coaching changes, honestly. Uh, first things first, we'll start out with UT Martin, uh, University of Tennessee Martin, uh, new head coach. They hired Ryan Ritter, uh, had a lot of success at junior college down in Florida at Daytona State College. Uh, but most recently, uh, he was the head coach for four years at Bethune-Cookman. Uh, mm-hmm. college out of the MEAC conference. And overall, he's got a 143-73 and 73 record as a head coach. 
So, I mean, he's been proven, he's been a proven winner during his, his short stint as a collegiate head coach. And I think, uh, I think it's a good hire for UT Martin. It, and it's not like he's coming as like an assistant coach and this is his first stop. He's already got head coaching experience. And I think with his head coaching experience, especially at Division One, I, I think that's only going to help UT Martin, uh, I don't want to say grow, but uh, get their program going in the right direction a lot faster, if you will. Because mm-hmm. um, not saying that UT Martin was in you know dire need of of things you know they had their you know unfortunate uh coaching uh not only say issue but uh coaching news here you know over the last year and uh with the passing of coach stewart um but it's always it's always tough transitioning from uh one head coach to a new head coach and right. i think with his head coaching experience uh it'll be easier for him to maybe get guys to show interest in coming to UT Martin a lot faster than if this was his first head coaching gig. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully uh, Coach Ritter will uh, keep Coach Carpenter on his staff because uh, uh, Coach Zach Carpenter was real nice uh, catching right. up with him, uh, you know, uh, a couple months back. Moving on from that hire, uh, Eastern Illinois, uh, they went out and hired Marty Simmons. Uh, fourth head coach in the Division One era for Eastern Illinois as he takes over for Jay Spoonauer. Most probably know Simmons as as the head coach for SIU Edwardsville and Evansville, but most recently he has been at Clemson. The last three seasons he has held the title of special assistant to the head coach. I think it's a good hire for Eastern Illinois, uh, TJ. I mean, when you look at his track record, he's been – a Division One head coach, basically in the Midwest and Southern Illinois and Evansville, I think are probably pretty comparable to what Eastern Illinois has to offer. Mm-hmm. Maybe not as much as like when you look at Evansville. Evansville's got a very nice arena, and Eastern Illinois's got one of the older arenas in college basketball. So maybe not the the glamorous. Uh, athletic facilities that Evansville may have, but just when you think of some of the smaller Division One colleges in the Midwest, I think Eastern Illinois falls, kind of falls into that same category with Evansville and uh, SIUE. You look at the Austin Peace side of things, and I, I tell you what, TJ, I know it's been a couple weeks since we recorded, but we haven't talked about this yet. Right. I know you and I went back and forth over text messages saying, you know, what the hell's going on with this? And with Matt Figure leaving the Ohio Valley Conference and Austin P for University of Texas Rio Grande Valley, like I, I found that very odd, and I know yeah. you 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 felt the same way. Like, like okay, what's going on here? Like, is it there had to have been a reasoning behind scenes, or maybe he just didn't like you know, the town in general or didn't get along with some of the higher up people at Austin P because he had a pretty good gig at Austin P and it wasn't like he was not having success. Like he was winning in his few short seasons at Austin P. Uh, The only thing I can really think of maybe is that with Terry Taylor graduating, Jordan Adams putting into the transfer portal, you know, like, 
Maybe he just he felt like this would be a good time to start over with some of the better players leaving. But at the same time, he also got some good good transfers in last year, a transfer from Georgia, uh, some other Division One transfers. But then you look at the Jordan Adams, tr- you know, entering the portal. Maybe he only entered the portal because he got wind from Coach Figure that you know, I might be, you know, maybe he told the team he was looking at taking another job. Yeah. But it's just very odd because if you look at you look at the conferences, you know the the conference that you know Texas Rio Grande Valley is in. In my opinion, it's it's honestly a step below the OVC, if not multiple steps. Oh, I don't disagree with you one iota. So that's where it really is confusing. Now maybe he he got a pay increase there. I'm not sure. I can't imagine that it'd be. You know, this huge pay increase, if it was an increase or enough to leave the conference, because when you think of the Ohio Valley, most coaches that move move on from the OVC end up getting a job with like a power five school. If it still is a head coach or, you know, uh, Jeff Neubauer, when he left Eastern Kentucky, he went to Fordham in the Atlantic 10. Mm-hmm. So I you don't really see guys leaving the OVC as a head coach going to a conference below the Ohio Valley Conference. Not, not when you seemingly left of your own accord. Exactly. So I don't wonder if we won't see something that comes out here in the near future about why he left or if he you know, just really disliked you know, Clarksville, Tennessee. Yep, I'm sh- I, I have a feeling we may never know that only Coach Figure and those closest to him might know. But it looks like he may be happy moving on to a Texas school. So, mm-hmm. you know, good luck to him, you know, down there with Texas Rio Grande Valley. Uh, yep. But with that, Austin P was able to bring in a new hire, uh, Nate James. Uh, he comes over yeah. as a Duke assistant coach. So, while Matt Figure did a lot of good things at Austin P, I you can't. It seems like you can never go wrong with an assistant coach from Duke. And yeah, I mean from that level, he he you know he played uh, at Duke. He had played some professionally in Europe. I think they said he's been what a part of five national championships at Duke, and had worked his way from strength and conditioning coach to associate head coach. So, I mean, definitely a guy that's kind of worn all the hats, has been there on both sides of, you know, the coin in terms of a player and a coach. And I think this is, this is a heck of a hire for uh, Austin Pete, to be quite honest with you. I think of the five that we talked about, this might be the most impressive hire of the bunch. Yeah, I would agree with you. You know, his whole background, I mean, there's not many guys out there that can say you were coached from – or you were mentored by one of the best in the game, you know, Coach Krzyzewski. Right. I mean, that. think of all the knowledge that he's been able to learn from mm-hmm. from Coach K. And, you know, being from Duke, I mean, that honestly right there, that's a draw right away for, for guys being recruited by Austin P. You know, yep. you can say, oh, well, I'm being recruited by Austin P and their new head coach. I mean – you don't have to have many connections, but that one big connection that he has right away, who also happened to be a coach for, you know, USA basketball. I mean, it, right. just think of all the connections that he has that obviously coach 
Coach James can fall back on if, you know, if needed. Yeah, he definitely comes in with credibility right off the bat. And that's that's a big thing to get things going. Uh, being being a, an African-American coach is definitely going to work in his favor as well. You know, I think, like you said, you, if he's recruiting you, you have you know, this guy that, that played at Duke and played professionally going to uh, coach me or, you know, Brian Mullins that, you know, played a little bit professionally but played at Southern Illinois. I mean, the wow factor is definitely going to be uh, with the Austin P program. Absolutely. Especially, especially if we see Terry Taylor get, make it to the league, that's going to be another, you know, big thing for them to recruit. Like, Hey, look, we just got a guy in the NBA. And, uh, you know, I think those are two big things working in their favor. Well, and, and the other aspect that you look at is, you know, not even just Austin P but now as college basketball seasons winding down, uh, the sports academic calendar year winding down. Uh, now is where you really start to look at teams in the conference. Well, I mean, you have Eastern Kentucky and Jacksonville State, both who had very, very good success this year inside the conference and college basketball in general, uh, moving on to the Atlantic Sun. Mm-hmm. So basically that that takes two teams right there that if you're Austin P that you were behind in the standings. Now it's not like you even have to leapfrog them next year. It's just, they're gone. And I think that's going to help, help get guys in there at Austin P or one of these other schools that just got a new coach, Eastern Illinois, UT Martin, uh, because that's less that they have to compete with that already have established winning, winning records these past couple of years. Uh, so I think that helps those schools that are trying to build a winning program. But at the same time, uh, I, I don't wonder if, if the Ohio Valley doesn't already have a team on their radar or school program, what have you, about coming in. Because I feel like they're still going to have to get another team in the conference, I, I, I feel like. So, but I guess time will tell. Uh but with that, TJ, uh, really not too much else we had to get to uh, on this week's episode. Uh, you got any final thoughts here to kind of wrap up this show? Or I was going to ask you, have you seen with the, the three-on-three tournament how they combine conference, conferences to build those teams and kind of uh, came up with some pretty cool names? I hadn't. So they have, I'm trying to see if I can find it here real quick. This is great listening to, I'm sure. But, uh, I did see that Terry Taylor was going to be in it. uh, Like the ACC, I forget which conference they're going with. Is it there? They're the tobacco road riders and, uh, stuff like that. So, I mean, I I thought it was kind of a a fresh look at, uh, what they, they want to do. And, uh, you know, it's definitely something you know, to kind of rebrand themselves. So like the big 10 and the Mac are together. And, you know, so they just combine some of those bigger conferences with some of those smaller conference schools. Each team still only has four team, four players on it, but uh, it was definitely pretty interesting. Yeah. I did see where Terry Taylor was going to be in it from the Ohio Valley, uh, Josiah Wallace and, Who's the other guy? I think there was a guy. Well, it's already over. So the Big Ten and the Mac were 
Big Maction was the, their name of their team. Well, that, that could, uh, I understand that. So. But yeah, the other guy that was in it from the Ohio Valley was... Uh, well, uh, I, I can't find him. But I thought it was, you know, really something different to do, you know, because sometimes you do those tournaments and after a few years, they kind of run their course. And, you know, there's an old saying, if you're if you're not moving, if you're not making changes to move forward, you're moving backwards. So kudos to them. Well, I I think that kind of goes along with uh, that. Just the basketball tournament in general that they have uh, the TBT tournament. Mm hmm. I yeah, kind of like how I kind of like how that's done, and yep. so I mean, yeah. I mean, outside of some of these other tournaments that you know of off the bat, I mean, yeah. If you make a couple changes here and there, I think it, it does help, um, especially that you know the the rule they have at the end of the TBT tournament. Uh, I forget the name of it. Uh, yeah. Uh, you oh, know the the ending. Yes, the ending. I forget what they call it, but. Yeah, well, it's neither here nor there. But, yeah, I mean, if, if you're making changes to to yeah, help the brand, then, I mean, I think I think it'll help tournaments, you know, at least get people's attention to keep watching. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. But with that, TJ, that'll wrap up Episode 40 here on View of the Valleys. For TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week for Episode 41 as we roll on with the podcast and and uh we'll see where we go from there you know for the off season but be sure to go on twitter and follow the podcast on twitter at view valleys pod and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on apple google and soundcloud enjoy the rest of your week have a good one everybody